Welcome to season two of the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to be a person of faith in a culture against faith. Okay, so let's talk about war and violence again. Um, And this time specifically, holy war and what that looks like. Yeah, it's a strange conversation. Um, Honestly, the concept seems paradoxical. Mm -hmm. The idea that war ordained by a God called holy, that is thought to be the author of life, that war can be enacted by that God, Mm -hmm. because inevitably the thing that follows war is death. Mm -hmm. Um, And how can a God of life be the institutor of death? Correct. Or initiator of death. Yeah, correct. How is that thing possible? Um, I, I did hear an argument, um, over the weekend, um, that because God is the author of life, therefore he also has control over death as well. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, if I'm being honest, um, it is something that it is a question that needs to be addressed. I think, um, because is is death this this idea this entity that is on its own and self-sustaining yes okay the fact that paul personifies it yes it is its own cosmic force now that's the beauty of the jesus story is that yeah. god has defeated death right god does not control death Right. God controls life. God offers life. And in offering life, found a way to defeat death. Right. Personified, cosmic, evil death. Um, but no, I do not believe that God initiates death. Okay. I think death is its own cosmic force that happens in a fallen and broken world. But if God were um, the one to initiate and enact death, then why is it not something that happens in eternity? Right. No, it's because it's something that happened in God's vicinity and God found a way to fix it and conquer it and defeat it. And we're just waiting on that to play out. Hmm. That's how I read it anyways. It's not that now, as I always say, my way is not the only way, nor is it necessarily the right way. Right. Um, The right, the right thing can be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ways to get to the right thing. Um, the wrong thing is always the wrong thing. There's never a time where the wrong thing is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I would argue that wrong thing that it always is, is experiences of death and things that correct create experiences of death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100% experiences of death. Um, So the idea of holy war in general is strange Mm. because war will inevitably lead to death. Right. The further issue, and we're going to get to it, holy war is talked about and happens in Deuteronomy chapter 20. 
Um, that's when Holy War. Ha- that's where Holy War is laid out. Um, and we'll look at it in a minute. But Holy War in general, the idea that God, the Author of Life, could initiate or command death via war, is its own problem. Um, the fact that Deuteronomy 20 commands genocide mm-hmm. is a whole nother issue. Yeah. Uh, so let's look at that real quick. A very strange, very strange dictation here. This is what the text says. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots, an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Before you engage in battle, the priests shall come forward and speak to the troops and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near to do battle against your enemies. Do not lose heart or be afraid or panic or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Now the officials shall address the troops saying, has anyone built a new house but not dedicated it? He should go back to his house or he might die in the battle and another dedicate it. Has anyone planted a vineyard but has not enjoyed its fruit? He shall go back to his house where he might die in the battle and another be first to enjoy its fruit. Has anyone become engaged to a woman but not yet married her? He should go back to his house where he might die in the battle and another marry her. That right there screams to me that you understand how hurtful death is yeah it is it is a suicide mission that you might be going on mm. um and these these are the things that you might miss out on these are big life movements mm-hmm. that you might miss and someone else reap the benefit mm-hmm. because you went to war right um and it's it's crazy to me that that's where it starts correct i agree I agree. Verse 8. The officials shall continue to address the troops, saying, Is anyone afraid or disheartened? He should go back to his house, or he might cause the heart of his comrades to melt like his own. When the officials have finished addressing the troops, then the commanders shall take charge of them. This is the most toxic thing I think I've ever read in the Bible. Do Do you see this last verse here? Verse 8, the one we just we just read. Is anyone afraid or disheartened? Well, get him out. He needs to go back to his house because he might cause the heart of his comrades to melt. Yeah. These are not people. These are soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the name of God, doing it as if this is God's somehow design. Well, could it be devil's advocate here could it be that they just want or god just wants the soldiers to be there on their own accord and understand exactly what they're getting into and 
know that it's okay if they don't want to do this. It's completely voluntary. Actually, yeah, I don't think it is, though. It's not. The way in which you garnered warriors and soldiers was not voluntary. Almost every man, 16 or older, Mm -hmm. fought in the Israelite army. Mm -hmm. Um, But they have an out right here. For a time. Right. Not forever. No, not forever, but here. It's all, you also realize it's a shame tap, tactic. If you can't keep your emotions out of this, go away because the rest of us are going to fight. Mm. We're going to war. You get your feelings and your emotional garbage out of here. We can't have you bringing down the rest of the troops. Mm. It's terrible. God, it's awful. Not even human. They're instruments of war. Very terrible. Very terrible the way this is all laid out. Then verse 10. When you draw near to a town to fight against it, offer it terms of peace. God, at least there's that initial offering. If it accepts your terms of peace and surrenders to you, then all of the people in it shall serve you at forced labor. So make them slaves. You, you, yeah, colonize them. Yeah. If they surrender to you, they become your slaves. Which, very weird. Israelites are coming out of slavery and now enslaving people. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If it does not submit to you peacefully, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it to gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. You may, however, take as your booty, your property, your, your possession, yeah. the women, the children, the livestock, and everything in the, else in the town, all its spoil. You may enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which you shall treat all the towns that are very far from you, which are not towns of the nations here. Oh, you, now, skip, you skipped something there. Um, I'm coming back to it. We're pausing okay. there. These are clearly people of war and anger and violence. Clayton, I don't think there's anything about this that's God-honoring at all. They rape those women. They own them. They own those women, those children. Yeah. There's nothing about this, any of this, that looks like a God at all. Yeah. Nothing. That the image of God is commanded by God in order to be enslaved, abused, raped, forced into labor, heinous labor, Golly, God freaking Lee. And we hadn't even got to the genocide yet. That's coming now. Yeah, well. Go ahead. You you had something else I didn't hit. Yeah, um, and it says here, um, 
after all of the the booty, the women, the children, the livestock, blah, 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 take it all as a spoil, you may enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord God yeah. has given you. Yeah, which I don't understand because if the whole problem is, because like the argument here by conservative scholars who want to make exception for this, yeah. their argument is, well, God gave it to them, and well, so God commanded it. And then what they say is it's because of their sin. It's because of the sins of these other nations mm-hmm. that God wanted them conquered. But take all their stuff, keep their women who, oh, by the way, Ezra and Nehemiah, you, you don't do want it. around yeah. because they influenced the, the religion mm-hmm. of the men, but you just told them they can sleep with them. Lord knows these women become handmaids and concubines. Mm-hmm. That's all they're good for. Mm-hmm. That's a foreign women. That's all they're good for. So if the reason this is commanded is because of the sins and the need for punishment of these foreign cities and lands, whatever, I think that's a terrible argument. But if it is, why do they get to enjoy all the spoils? Why do they get to keep the women? Why do they get to sleep with them? Why do they get to enslave them? Why do they get to be a part of their society? Mm-hmm. Be a part of? Yeah. No, you're not a part of. You take. And oh, you, no, no, no. But when you, yeah. I mean, think about. You create new society. Correct. Yeah. There's integration that happens here. Oh, yeah. You take over, use their things yeah. to build your own. Yeah. So it's not even like it's a complete new rebuild. No. It's like a restructure based on what's already there. Correct. Um, and if that is apparently all tainted by their sin, then why do they get to keep it? I don't know. It, And that's why I think the whole argument doesn't make much sense to me. It doesn't. Um now, now that that's in not- this specific land, when they command genocide, yeah, excuse me, they're not allowed to take anything. Mm-hmm. This is what it says there. I'm not skipping over that. We'll we'll continue that conversation, integrating it with this one. Um, verse 16. But as for the towns of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you must not let anything that breathes remain alive. You shall annihilate them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded, so that they may not teach you to do all the abhorrent things that they do for their gods, and you thus sin against the Lord your God. If you besiege a town for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you must not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them, Although you may take food from them, you must not cut them down. Are trees in the field, human beings, that they should come under siege from you? You may destroy only the trees that you know do not produce food. You may cut them down for use in building siege works against the town that makes war with you until it falls. So protecting creation in war. Protect, protect the trees more than humanity. Protect trees over the life of a human that thing which technically breathes Mm -hmm. that tree breathes uh listeners um he's pointing at trees outside 
Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. Trees breathe. Mm-hmm. They breathe in CO2, which is what we release when we breathe in oxygen, and they breathe out oxygen. Keep them, but take the actual breath from a human being. Mm-hmm. Here's why I bring all that up. And here's where I tell it in such a condescending way. You would not know it because of chapters and verse markers and subheadings and all of these things. We've added all those. Those were not originally there. We've added all of those things. And so this reads as a single document mm. with no real breaks Anything like that. It just flows as one train of thought. Clayton, would you please do me a favor and mm-hmm. recount the story of when Jesus um, is teaching in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. and he asks us to turn the other cheek. So Jesus' whole thing there... Um Oh, God. The turning of the cheek is strike you on your right. You turn or on one cheek, you turn and give him your left. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask for your shirt, you give him your coat too. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. Essentially, just give everything. Do not provide any confrontation and kind of really pacifist language. Mm-hmm. That's really what's happening there. Yep, you are right. This is what it says. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus speaking, he says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Yep. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. Yeah. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Well, Hang on. Whoa, whoa. Do you know what follows that immediately? Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you mm-hmm. so that you may be children of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers and sisters what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect can i make a little side note does it not say there that you should give to anyone who begs from you? It does. So the guy on the side of the street that's asking you for money and you act like you don't see him? Damn. It do- yeah. Yeah. It does Sorry. say that. That's a little side note there. Yeah. From Jesus, anyone who begs from you. Yeah. Anyone. Sorry. It's a fair now, point. Back to now, war and violence. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Clayton, I think you know where that verse comes from because I think we talked about it earlier. Um, But I think these go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Do not strike them back, but turn and give them your other cheek also. Mm -hmm. Which also, I heard someone say the other day 
that Jesus told me to turn the other cheek, but he didn't ask me to stand there. And I was like, no, no actually, that's exactly what he asked you to do. Yeah. To turn and give them the other also is to ask you to stand there. So what are you going to do? Turn your cheek and then dodge? <laughs> yeah, no, he absolutely asked you to stand there. Yeah. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to stand there and get hit. And let somebody beat you up. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting let's be better readers and interpreters of our Bible than that. What what that is trying to say is peace above all. Correct. Keep the peace. Correct. Now, because these two things go together, this one is about retaliation, and the next one is about your enemies, which Deuteronomy 20 calls... The other combatants, mm-hmm. they're in it, the enemies of Israel. Mm-hmm. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. One verse before Deuteronomy 20. That's where it comes from. One verse right before, immediately preceding Deuteronomy 20. This is what it says. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. And the very next sentence begins a conversation about holy war. Mm -hmm. You could easily fit 21 as the opening for Deuteronomy 20. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And to follow that conversation about retaliation with a conversation about enemies. That you've heard it, friends, you've heard it said to love your neighbor but hate your enemies. Mm-hmm. But I tell you to love your enemies. I think Jesus is very clear that there is no such thing as holy warfare. Well, and let's, let's just note here that at the beginning of all this, it did not say, and the Lord said. Right. It is people recounting what they're thinking that God is saying. It does. It does say that God commanded. Yeah, but it does. It does not say that the Lord said. Yeah, this is not a narrative of God actually telling them. It is a narrator, the author or authors of the book of Deuteronomy, which uniquely, and I say that uniquely given over to the idea that God blesses the obedient and punishes the disobedient. Mm -hmm. And I say it's unique because that is definitely not the story of Job. No. These are two combat, like these are two different competing themes about the way in which God manifests themselves in struggles. Yeah. Deuteronomy is convinced that God is cursing those who are disobedient. Mm -hmm. And holy warfare is a part of that. Mm -hmm. Job seems to be communicating that that's not the case at all. That we have no idea why bad things happen to good people. But it's only because magnificent creator God Mm -hmm. has allowed it. Mm -hmm. Two competing themes. Deuteronomy is uniquely given over to this idea And isn't it interesting that this is the only place that holy war is detailed out? Hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and say this, 
I, I just wrote a blog post about this last last Friday. Uh, it's on my Instagram, which is linked down below if you want to go read it. But we were recording last week, and I ended up having this original thought, and I just went like on a two-minute monologue talking to my editing self as I go back and edit these. Here's the deal. In 2 Samuel 7, we get the promise of a Davidic covenant, a covenant between God and David that David's lineage will last forever, that someone from the house of David will always sit on the throne of Israel. That finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's why genealogies in the New Testament matter. That's why the book of Ruth should really be called the book of Ob the birth of Obed, mm -hmm. because all it's really trying to tell you is that Jesus is birthed out of a foreigner. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you put all of this together, you do this hard work, you put it all together, you can also skip over to 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles, you have that same story recounted with the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. The conversation goes that David comes to God and says, God, I live in this magnificent temple. This is right after uh, David conquers Jerusalem with his personal militia. Mm. He says, God, I live in this magnificent palace, and yet you live in a tent. I want to build for you a house. Mm -hmm. God's response is, hey, I appreciate that sentiment, David. But instead, how about I build you a house? I'll make you a house. Um, someone from your line will always sit on the throne of Israel because you have attempted to live faithfully to me. But I want Solomon to build the house because you have too much blood on your hands. If a God who commanded this yeah. was really okay with it, if this represented who God wanted to be known for, yeah. why can't David just simply build the temple? Right. This is right after he conquers Jerusalem. He's mm -hmm. got plenty of time. Mm -hmm. Why can't he build the temple? Because mm -hmm. apparently, according to the Bible's own storytelling, there's some kind of disconnect between God and David. Hmm. And that disconnect has something to do with the amount of blood and violence and murder at the hands of David. To the point that the Israelite people end up chanting, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. Something about David's violence and warfare as a warrior was troubling to God. Yeah, it disqualified him to build God a house. Yeah. Because God didn't want to be known as an instrument of destruction, but of one of restoration and peace. Mm. That's the whole deal. He must, the, the second Chronicles narrative continues. And he, God even says, I will make Solomon a man of peace. Mm -hmm. He will have peace with his, with the neighboring nations. Mm. For whatever happened, I don't know if, they heard God wrong and wrote it down wrong. I don't know if the Bible's wrong. I, I don't know what happened. But I know that the darn story that we're reading tells me that there's some kind of disconnect here to the point that David, the epitome of this conquering, he conquers Jerusalem with his own personal militia. You can't conquer Canaan without getting to the place that ends up being the house of God, mm -hmm. the capital city. David is the epitome of the conquering. He's the conquering king. Mm -hmm. And yet, when he tries to go back and build the temple for God, the place that God will dwell and live, God says, I can't. 
because you now represent something that I don't want to be known for. Thanks for listening to the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.